like for us to open our Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew, chapter 27, and we'll read verse 46. You may not have time to follow me with all the references, but we'll read this verse to begin with. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'm going to read in John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. I'm going to read John 19, verse 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And I'm going to read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. I've read the last four words of Jesus that he spoke from the cross. Some people say the sayings of Christ from the cross, or the cries of Jesus from the cross. And I've read the last four. Last Sunday we preached on the first three of these seven words. From the cross, and uh, this morning we'll try to bring you the message on these last four words that we've just read. Now then, I would like to do it in this way: that first of all, I will give you all of the seven, and then I will run briefly through all of these last four words, and then I intend to come back and expound each and every one of them. So you pray that we can follow this thought all the way through, that it will be a blessing. The last words of Christians are especially impressive. We say that was the last word that father, mother, son, or daughter, that that one spoke before they went out, went home to be with the Lord, before they went out of this life, especially Christian people that die in the Lord. Their last words are very significant. And if that be true, how much more noteworthy these last words of Jesus and how much Do they bear a very special significance? As he hung on the cross, there were seven words that he spoke. Seven is the sacred and mystical number. No evangelist records all seven. Matthew and Mark have only one, have one. Luke has three and John has three. And a careful study will reveal them to be in this order. We gave them to you last week. But this is the order. Father, forgive them. That was Luke 23, 34. That's the first word that Jesus spoke as he hung on the cross of Calvary. The second word he spoke was to the repentant thief. And to him he said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And that was Luke chapter 23, verse 43. And then he spoke to Mary, his mother, and said, Woman, behold thy son, pointing out John. And then he said, Behold thy mother. That was John 19, verse 26 and verse 27. And then the one we read this morning, the, the first thing, uh, Matthew 27, 46. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? John 19, verse 28. I thirst. John 19, verse 30. It is finished. Luke 23, verse 46. Father, into thy hands I come in my spirit. And these are the seven last words that Jesus spoke before he died. 
Jesus was on the cross six hours before he died. There were two periods of three hours each. From nine o'clock till twelve noon, there was daylight. And from twelve noon to three p.m., there was darkness over all the earth. The first three of the sayings that were uttered, that we preached on before, were spoken in the daylight hours. And these last four were spoken in darkness, and at the very last point or time of that darkness, about the ninth hour, it says, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So that there seemed to be a great silence from the time of twelve noon until almost the ninth hour, and it was broken by the words of Jesus, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? These last four words, or four sayings of Jesus, are dominated by the idea and the thought of atonement. It was there he was making atonement for our sins, for the sins of the whole world, as John says. And we find that the first three words that Jesus spoke, that he spoke in daylight, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother that these showed Christ's thoughtfulness for others, even in the hour of death. The first thing he was concerned about was for others, and they revealed Christ's thoughtfulness. These last four words that we'll deal with this morning reveal two things, Christ's travail and Christ's triumph. The first of these last two, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I thirst. Show Christ's travail. The first one, when he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Shows us his mental anguish. And the second one of these two, in travail, I thirst, shows his physical anguish. But then the last two words that he spoke, when he said, It is finished, and Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, show us Christ's triumph. These were words of triumph. So you might say this morning we'll deal with Christ's travail in these two words, the fourth and fifth, and Christ's triumph, the sixth and seventh. Now I want to give you briefly a run through these. Christ's travail, here in the fourth that we've read, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In this fourth word on the cross, Jesus shows us his mental anguish. That Jesus was suffering the judgment of God for our sins. In turn, you and I might accept his substitutionary sacrifice for us and be exempt from such judgment. We find that each one of these words of Jesus on the cross condemns certain errors and heresies that exist and have existed through the years. Here in this word, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The heresy of modernism is condemned. Many fall into this category saying that the cross has no place in the plan and program of God. They say that Jesus trusted God too much and now on the cross expected God to deliver him and he would not. So they see that this explains, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That he expected too much of God to deliver him from the cross. And that it really had no purpose and plan, modernism teaches. And on the other hand, some modernists claim 
that there is only the moral influence, even though they accept the cross, maybe as in the purpose and plan of God, they say it has only a moral influence. And you know what they mean by that? That the cross was not an altar of sacrifice for sin, where sin was atoned for, but a pattern of, of example. Uh, it shows its value in that Jesus set an example of self-sacrifice and a pattern for service. That we're just to give ourselves completely to being a sacrifice and, and service to others. But Christ's death was not only a sacrifice for our sins, but he was a substitute for sinners on the cross. And I believe that that brings us back to the thought of atonement and substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And then we find this other word, I thirst. When Jesus speaks the word I thirst, he is here refuting the doctrine that he only appeared to be a man, but was not so in reality. You know, some say, well, he was not really a man, that he just appeared to be. And that they deny the humanity of Christ. Now, the humanity of Jesus Christ is just as essential to the gospel of Christ as the deity of Christ. Jesus was both God and man. He was absolute man. And he was absolute God manifest in the flesh. Paul says that Jesus Christ was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Paul says that Jesus was of the seed of David according to my gospel. His thirst revealed that he was really, truly human. His physical anguish is seen. He said, I thirst. He thirsted for man's redemption. He thirsted for the living God. He thirsted for a redeemed family that he would uh, take home to be with God. That they would never hunger and thirst anymore. And his thirst was real and it revealed his true humanity. And then the sixth word that Jesus spoke from the cross when he says, it is finished. He's proclaiming the victory of the cross. The work he came to do was finished. The will of God in his life was completely done. Man's redemption was now complete. Salvation could be offered to all. And thank God the sufferings of Jesus would forever be over. That he would never have to suffer again. In this short verse, and by the way, it's only one word in the original. It is finished. It's really shorter than the one that says, I thirst, though not in our English language. It's one word. Accomplished. It's done. Finished. It is finished. So it is, it's really the shortest word. But in this short word of Jesus and in this shout of Jesus from the cross, the heresies of Romanism, of Judaism, of modernism are all put to silence. You know why? Because all three of them believe that salvation is by faith plus something else. Plus works, plus masses, plus penances, plus purgatory, and plus other things. But the Bible teaches that it is by faith plus nothing else. All of grace. All that the law required. All that the prophecies had forecast. All that the types and the shadows of the Old Testament had foreshadowed all that the promises has, had proclaimed, all that the ages had striven for, all was finished. Everything was done. 
Jesus could truly say, it is finished, it's accomplished. So that everything as far as the, uh, making full provision for our salvation was completely taken care of. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. And, and anything you and I, listen carefully, might try to add to that finished work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary is to take away from it instead of add to it. Anything you and I might try to say that it's salvation by faith plus me holding out faithful, plus me doing good, plus my works, plus my church membership, plus my baptism, plus me taking the Lord's Supper, plus any other thing that we can do, plus me helping the poor, plus me uh, doing something else, is to take away from it because your salvation would depend upon what Jesus did and what you are doing. And it's not so. It's upon what Jesus did. He paid the full price on the cross of Calvary. The seventh word, he speaks, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It's one of perfect, joyful resignation. A yielding up of himself in death to the Father. It expresses Christ's satisfaction relative to the future. He was satisfied and he knew he could face the future. His first and last sayings were addressed to the Father. When he first spoke out, he said, Father, forgive them. And then all of the other words that he spoke and the last word that he speaks, Father, to thy hands I commend my spirit. You see where he's been all the while? Father at the beginning of the words of the cross. Father at the end of the words of the cross. And even though we come back now to expound this fourth word, where he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He still says, my God, my God. And he's still living in the atmosphere of, Father, forgive them, and Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. There are things about the cross that I'm sure that we'll never understand. There are things about the sayings of Jesus on the cross that we will not understand till we get to eternity. But I want us to notice, and we want to expound now, each and every one of these words of Jesus from the cross. If you want to turn with me to Matthew 27, verse 46. It says, And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here's a great question, isn't it? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We're going to try to arrive at an answer of that in a moment. There was never anything in his own life that would cause God to forsake him. Jesus had always done that which was perfectly right in the sight of the Father. He says, I do always those things that please him. God certainly wouldn't forsake Jesus on account of some thing that he had done wrong. He always pleased the Father. God the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So it wasn't because of anything that he had done. He was perfectly sinless and holy, harmless, separate from sinners, undefiled. That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. He was the only holy and perfect and sinless man that ever lived upon this earth. And Jesus 
was considering himself for a moment of time, forsaken of God, of which you and I will never be able to say that we have been forsaken of God. Sometimes we feel like that we have been, but you haven't been. What is the promise of the word? I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, God says. If there was ever a time that God would leave one of his children or forsake one of his children, then that scripture would not be true. Right? But he says, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Sometimes we feel like that he is far away, that the heavens are as brass, that our prayers are unanswered. Sometimes we feel like that everything's going wrong, there's nothing right about this world. But we know that Jesus has promised, God's word has promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will be with thee. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. So then what is the answer? You know the answer? God's wrath upon sin. Jesus was taking the sinner's place. Here is sovereign sacrifice. Here is where Jesus stood in the sinner's place. The answer that God could have spoken back to his son was would be this. Because you are standing in the sinner's place. Because I must turn my back for a moment at least of time upon sin. And you're taking the sins of the world. The Bible says, He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he stood in our place. That's why. That's the answer. Our sins and his taking our sins upon himself is the answer. Sinner's substitute. His obedience was perfect. The Bible says he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And you know, our Lord's suffering in this particular way was appropriate and it was necessary. Bodily pain he had endured. He had gone through much. There had been scourgings, buffeting. They had plucked at his beard. They'd crowned him with a crown of thorns. He'd gone through many hours of trial. He was weak and fell under the load and burden of the cross. He had suffered the piercing of his hands and his feet with nails. And there he was hanging. And it hung for six hours long on the cross. By this time the wounds in his hands and feet had stretched out till he must have been in terrible pain. And yet all of this was not enough, though it was necessary. Bodily pain was not enough. He must feel forsaken of God because it's the necessary consequence of sin. And you and I would have to feel it had not Christ felt it for us. He said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It is essential because Jesus was to die in the victim's place. It was essential because He is our substitute. And he took our place on the cross of Calvary. And behind this great brazen wall of substitution, and I believe that's what it's teaching, you and I can stand eternally safe. Thank God for that. You and I are eternally safe from Satan, from the world, the flesh, and the devil, from an eternal separation from God, delivered, redeemed, atoned for, bought with a price. You're not your own. 
we can stand eternally safe because Jesus was able to say for you and I, not because of himself, that he was able to say for you and I what? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so that our sins were being judged and punished. And Jesus bore the judgment and the wrath of God to our sins. He died for the unjust. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. We're the unjust. He's the just. He died for our sins, the Bible says, according to the scriptures. The Bible says he bare our sins in his own body on the tree. The Bible says by the prophet Isaiah, he bare the sins of many. He made intercession for the transgressors. The Bible says again, Isaiah 53, the Lord hath laid on him. You know what it means? Hath made to meet on Christ the iniquity of us all. That's the first word of these four, of these last four. The first one that was spoken in darkness. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This shows us where Jesus died for our sins and how he took the judgment and wrath of God for us. I want us to turn now to the 19th chapter of John, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith I thirst. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus paid close attention to the fulfilling of scripture in his last hour. That the scripture might be fulfilled, saith I thirst. We find it in the Psalms. What does it mean? I thirst. For twenty hours he had tasted nothing. For six hours he had hung on the cross. Possibly Satan, you know, about his thirst, may have been tempting him just as he did about bread in the great temptation. You suppose Satan came to him and said, you can cause the rains to fall from heaven or you can cause the, the fountains of the great deep to be broken up. You could provide yourself with thirst. You could come down from the cross if thou be the Son of God, was the taunt before. Remember, when he was in the wilderness temptation, Satan said, command that these, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be turned into bread. Well now, how about commanding water to quench your thirst? Jesus had created all the streams and rivers and wells, and yet he thirsted. What condescension for Jesus to come down to this, this state of things. He gave waters from the rock to the children of Israel as they were journeying in the wilderness. Moses smote the rock and the waters gushed forth. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that they drank of that spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. He's the one that provided that quenching of that thirst. And we find that even in his ministry, he came to Jacob's well and he gave the woman of Samaria living water. And he was able to give her water that she would never thirst again. And yet he said, I thirst. I'd like for us to notice the meaning of this. First of all, I believe that it means when he said, I thirst, that it was a sign or an instant of his true humanity. It showed us that Jesus was just as human as you and I are. That he could be thirsty in body. There are many other things I believe involved in this thirst. But he could really want some water to quench 
His thirst. And this shows Jesus very near akin to you and I. And in doing this, it shows us that He understands about all of our needs, whether they're physical or material or spiritual. Whatever. The Bible says that we have a high priest, a great high priest. And it says, we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But that means simply this, that we do have one that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. For he was in all points tempted like as we are, putting it in the positive words, yet without sin. And he says, therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He knows all of our frailties. In all of our woes, I thirst. It shows his true humanity. And you and I ought to be able then to resign to some of the things that we experience because of the fact that Jesus said, I thirst. We ought to be able to resign to the fact that it, it won't do us too much harm if we have to thirst. If we have to thirst in life and if we have to thirst in death. How many times have you seen people that were in their last days or hours upon this earth? And they thirst. That's one of the, the signs, isn't it, really? Quite often, when someone is dying, they're always, they need something to, part, uh, to touch their parched lips and their dry throat. They need something because they thirst. Jesus was human, just like you and I. The second thing we see, that in this thirst, he was suffering as our substitute. Because... If Jesus had not thirsted, every one of us would have thirsted forevermore for salvation. Because we would have been afar off from God with an impassable gulf between us and heaven. And we would have been thirsting like the rich man and say, Send Lazarus with one drop of water that he may quench my thirst. Place it upon my tongue. Cool my parched lips. For I'm tormented in this flame. But he was taking our place. And Jesus thirsted so that we might never have to hunger and thirst. And we do not. Because Jesus said, whosoever shall drink of this water shall never thirst. He says, I'm the bread of life, I'm the water of life. And he was both, and is both to you and I. We may hunger and thirst for many things. And we should hunger and thirst, as Jesus has said, after righteousness as a child of God. But we'll never have to hunger and thirst for salvation. Once you have been saved and you belong to Christ, there may be many things you will hunger for. There may be many things you will thirst after. And even in a spiritual way, hunger and thirst after righteousness, but you will never have to hunger for salvation or thirst for salvation because it gives you that and it's eternal. Belongs to you. I'm glad salvation. Jesus said, He that eateth this bread shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I am that bread of life. And we find that it shows further, not only Jesus' humanity and Christ as our substitute, but it also shows us this. It shows us man's treatment of Jesus. They took a there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Now, I'm not judging the motivation of the one that did that. But I'm saying that man does not do very good when it comes to what is needed, does it? Vinegar upon those parched, dry lips and for him to drink. 
but he wouldn't do it. I want us to notice something else. The mystical expression of this word, I thirst. He thirsted to fulfill the Father's business. To complete what he was about to say next was, it is finished. But he wanted to be able, he thirsted to come to the place. He'd already said in his great high priestly prayer, Father, glorify thy Son with the glory that he had with thee before the world was. He says, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And that was his full desire in the 17th of John. And he, he lived in the atmosphere of that. And this was anticipating the moment when he could finally say, it is finished. So he thirsted to fulfill his father's business. Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? Do you and I thirst to do the will of God and be about our father's business? And then another thing in that mystical expression, I believe, of the desire of his heart was this, to save men. Because he knew until all of this was done, there was still no provision to pay our redemptive price and to pay the price for our salvation. And he thirsted to finally say it is accomplished. I have given myself in sacrifice. My blood has been shed. Atonement has been made. Redemption has been provided for all men. And Jesus thirsted for that. The pattern, another thing I want us to see is the pattern of our death with him, we should thirst too. We should thirst too. We should thirst in some ways now in life. We should hunger and thirst after righteousness. We should hunger and thirst after perfection. You say, well, I'm not perfect, never expect to be. I don't either, but I have a good pattern before me. And I have the encouragement of God's word that we are gradually and constantly and progressively sanctified and made more like what the Lord would have us to be. And I have the promise of God's word that one day he will present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding great joy. And also we should have this uh, desire of our heart, the desire of his heart should be our desire, and that is for the souls of our fellow men. He thirsted to save sinners by giving himself on the cross and paying the redemptive price. You and I ought to thirst by doing whatever he would have us to do in order that that may be done. Now we come quickly and briefly to John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, now listen carefully, it is finished. What do we mean it is finished? Accomplished. It's done. It's complete. Instead of anguish, instead of travail like, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Instead of physical anguish, when he said, I thirst, now he says it's finished. A note of victory and triumph. It's done. It's accomplished. What is it that's done? The malice and envy of his persecution was done. He had been delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. They had taken with wicked hands and crucified and slain. The counsel and commandment of his father had been completed. The purpose of God had been fulfilled. All of the types and the prophecies of the Old Testament, every type and shadow had been fulfilled when Jesus said, I thirst. There were 33 prophecies fulfilled in one day when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. Many direct scriptural references had been fulfilled. One of them that he said, I thirst. This one where he says, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The ceremonial law had been abolished. 
The Bible says he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. The Bible teaches that this saying, this word of Christ, shows a sovereign provision. Sin is finished and an end made of transgression. We find that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ had been completed. The blood of Jesus shed. The Lamb of God sacrificed. It's work done. John said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away, beareth away the sin of the world. His sufferings were over now. The Bible says he once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Once. They're over now. It is finished. The next thing he's going to yield up the ghost. It is finished. His sufferings are over. He'll never have to suffer again. It's accomplished. His life is now finished, as we must all finish ours. His life was now over on this earth for the time. You know, you and I are going to have to face our finished work too one of these days. And I think last and most wonderful of all about the word and the cry, it is finished, is this. The work of man's redemption and salvation is now completed. A fountain of grace had been opened that would forever flow. And with the virtue of the blood of Jesus Christ, it would have the same effect upon sinners today as was provided for the very first one. When Jesus said to that repentant thief as he hung on the cross, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He's made provision for your sins and mine. And we sing a song. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath this flood or that flood lose all their guilty stains. And when we come to Christ, the cross of Calvary, and we see that Jesus took our place and died for our sins there, we find that there's perfect and complete cleansing for the soul. That's where we ought to find ourselves. Every believer today ought to rejoice over the fact that in the sight of God, he's been cleansed by the blood of Christ. The Bible says, who have loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He's made us kings and priests. Unto God, and we shall reign upon the earth. And you know, this word, it is finished, should be an encouragement to you and I. It, it means that I must persevere until I finish my work too. Does it mean to you that you are going to persevere to finish your work as Jesus did? He persevered to finish this work. There are many things we won't go back to what all he went through. But he did finally come to the place that he could say, accomplished. Finished. You know, I'm afraid that most of the works of all of us, are there are going to be many little works or little things that are left undone when we come to the time that we will leave this life and go home to be with the Lord. Many things will be left undone. But you know, I believe that there was there's only one that has said and only one that ever will be able to say perfectly, it is finished. There was not a one thing, there was not one little thing there was not anything that had been left undone. Jesus had completed everything that was necessary, everything that was in the plan and purpose of God, everything that was for Him to do. He could say it is done. It ought to encourage us, shouldn't it, to finish the work that God has given us to do. We can finish our work for Christ and for He finished His. He gives us the encouragement to now, we know that it will not be perfect. His was what it ought to be, but we can finish it. Let us not think that our work is finished till we die. Some people retire, you know. They say, well, I'm retired from the Lord. 
I used to go to church and Sunday school. I used to serve the Lord. I used to do this and I used to. Used to's don't count. It's what we want to do now. Until we die. You see, the very last day, the very last year and month and day and week and hour of our life. We ought to be able to go on until the end of it, till we die. And our work is not done till we die. And we all have a work to do. Let us keep on till we finish it. I believe that's the encouragement that comes to us from this word of Jesus from the cross. Give you this last one quickly in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. This is sovereign trust. He was trusting his soul to God. This was a voluntary committal and dismissal of his spirit. It's implied by this. A perfect joyful resignation. Trust in God is the last of all things. And the whole of all things. You say, well, how am I going to trust in God when I die? Do it while you're living. That's how you're going to do it when you die. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. If we would reign in life and then in death, we must know how to commit our way into the Lord, and we must know how to commit our way into the Lord while we're living and before we come to die. Have you learned how to commit your way to the Lord now? Well, then if you have, you'll learn how to commit your way to God uh, when you die. And say, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I want us to get the teaching quickly of this last word. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. The teaching of this word is this, that he says, Father... And he says the same thing that he said in the first word on the cross, right? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And before he died, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The first and the last of life is Father. It ought to be with us. Now we ought to be able to say, Father, Holy Father. The Bible says we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Holy Father. And then... We ought to be able to come to the end of life and cry it too and say, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. So he teaches us by this. And this should bring comfort to us to know that in death as in life, you know, Jesus shows us how to die as well as how to live. That in dying, we see how we ought to die. That dying is going to be home with the Lord. He was now going to be with God. We ought to see that. That when we die is to depart from this life and leave these earthly houses and this earthly tabernacle and to be with Christ, which is far better. And that He will receive us. He says, Father, into Thy hands I commend my spirit. That God would receive Him. And then again, we want to see how to practice our duty because of the fact of the teaching of this last word of Jesus from the cross. We ought to resign ourselves to Him. We ought to do like Jesus did and pray to Him. We ought to do like we ought to do in life, and that's commit ourselves to God by faith. He still hadn't lost faith because He could say, Father. And we ought to realize that God is very present, even in the hour of death. God's presence was there. We ought to realize all of these things. And then let's enjoy the privilege of knowing that we can rest in God in all times of danger and pain. We can rest in God. And we can bravely 
have confidence in the time of death and in the fear of death, if we will but remember the words of Jesus. In time of death and the hour, and it will come sometime. And though the fear of death still is in our hearts, the Lord has given us confidence that we can rest assured that we can say with Him, Father, into Thy hands I commend my spirit. I believe that we can end it all in joy. And I believe Jesus did. I believe when he died, the Bible teaches that not only were the sufferings past when he said it is finished, but when he came to the place that finally said, Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. It was a joyful resignation of this life. He was resigning now to go to be with the Father. The Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high of the throne of God. Now then, you and I can do that. I believe there are many things we can learn. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He, he died and he paid the sin penalty for you and I. When he said, I thirst, it's a lesson to you and I. When he said, it is finished, there's another lesson.